I mentioned to you that a, a person in our congregation misunderstood and they'd been double tithing all month. Did I tell you all that? Well, she told me today that unexpectedly God restored it all. So, it's just more blessed to give than to receive. It's the truth of the universe. You cannot break it. You cannot change it. God takes care of us as we extend generosity to others. Now, today I'm finishing up this great chapter, Proverbs 3. This is the fifth message from this rich and wonderful text. Proverbs are short, pithy, memorable sayings, sort of like tweets. Somebody called Proverbs the ancient collection of tweets, the ancient book of tweets. Well, Jesus was also famous for his tweets, and he had many short, pithy, memorable sayings that we quote today and are part of our language, in fact. And he drew upon Proverbs numerous times. Somebody counted seven times in the book, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, where the book of Proverbs is alluded to or maybe quoted as Jesus gave that great sermon. And when you read the Proverbs today, as you uh, hear me read them, you will see some parallels with the teachings of Jesus in this passage that we're going to use today. So I'm going to do something a little unusual today. I'm going to lay the story of the Good Samaritan over top of the grid of these verses I'm going to read. And I want you to see how Jesus paralleled the teaching in Proverbs and what it means for you today. Verse 27, Proverbs 3, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse anyone for no reason when they have done you no harm. Do not envy the violent or choose any of their ways. For the Lord detests the perverse but takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. The wise inherit honor, but fools get only shame. That verse about the humble and oppressed is quoted by Pastor James in the New Testament and also by Peter in the New Testament. And Jesus is in the background of both of those apostles as they're talking about the oppressed and the humbled, just like the book of Proverbs does here. And so the Scripture says that we are to... Give good to those who seek it from us. The scripture says here, do not envy the violent or choose any of their ways, for the Lord detests the perverse, but takes the upright into his confidence. There's an echo in Proverbs 1 
of this verse from our passage today. Proverbs 1, starting with verse 10, begins to talk to a young man who's being enticed by a band of thieves to come into their gang. They say, come on, it's going to be great, and we're going to fill our houses with plunder. We're going to share all the loot. That's what they say to this young man. And the sage Solomon says, do not go that way because it ends in death. When you read here, do not envy the violent or choose any of their ways in verse 31 of our passage today, you can hear this warning in the background about these thieves who are mentioned in chapter 1. There's an attitude here about life, an attitude about material possessions. And the thief has this attitude. What's yours is mine, and I'll take it. What's yours is mine, and I'll take it. We all know there's a a command in the Ten Commandments that says, Thou shalt not steal. And God saw that the nation of Israel could not survive if it did not have a prohibition about stealing. And so in these ten laws that govern the community of Israel, as well as all human communities, the law is you shall not steal. A man is to work with his hands and earn by the sweat of his brow a living. Work is full of dignity and honor. And we ought to do it not just because we must, but because we want to honor God. So Paul instructs us, do not do your work as a man pleaser, but as a God pleaser. And that is the proper way to live in the world, to work hard, to be diligent, to refuse to be lazy. Some people will not work for what they need, for their food and their shelter and their clothing. They would prefer to take what somebody else has earned and by thievery, robbery, steal what is theirs. If you do that in the nation of Israel, the law came down upon you, but not only there. It is not simply the Ten Commandments, but almost every human community, whatever religion it has or heritage, prohibits stealing and thievery. Because it undercuts the trust that we must have to form communities. It is deadly to have in a neighborhood people who do not respect private ownership of property. When the law says thou shalt not steal, God is affirming the right of private property. Even in our community. We have had thieves and thugs who have broken into homes and stolen. Have you ever been there, having had someone break into your home and steal what belongs to you, and feel the frustration of that, and the anger that boils up inside of you that somebody would violate your home? It tears apart a a community for that to take place. 
Thieves are not only damaging their own lives. Proverbs says their way is going to end up in death. The plunder is not going to afford them anything. But it tears up the neighborhood of which they are a part and the community of which they are a part. And sometimes neighbors leave a neighborhood because people steal and take what is not theirs. So both the law of God and natural law governing all human communities forbids stealing. We are not to take by violence what belongs to another. When I first read the parable of the Good Samaritan, I skimmed over quickly the introduction to the parable where Jesus sets up the whole thing. But now I have revisited it and considered again this man who was traveling a dangerous road from Jericho to Jerusalem where there are mountains and hills and rugged country and thieves can take you down and steal what is yours and escape into those hills undetected. And I've thought about this man. Jesus says of him, he is a traveler who falls into the hands of robbers and they beat him up and leave him by the side of the road half dead. They have taken what is his. And the man who is suffering in the story of the Good Samaritan, he's not suffering from a flood or a hurricane. He is suffering at the hands of other human beings. He he doesn't wake up after being beat up and say, God, why did you do this to me? He knows it is other people who did this to him. And so we discover as we give care and we seek to love our neighbor and do the work of Christ in our community that many people suffer at at the hands of other human beings. They are hurting because humans intentionally hurt them. I have been to our feeding station at Elysian Fields many times, and I have seen there gunshot wounds and stab wounds and broken ribs and people who have been beat up in the roads and streets of New Orleans, and many of them don't have their papers, and they will not seek police protection because of that, and so they are the easiest prey in our community to thieves and to thugs. I thought about not using the word thugs because it is a pejorative term, although frequently used. But when we were doing our ministry in Central City at Taylor Playground, we took a group of kids one Wednesday evening, children on a bus, to the playground. They were going to help us with the feeding ministry and the outside worship service and the the kids' ministry and the play we were going to do in the playground. And when we arrived there, there was a repass going on for a young man, 21 years old, who had died in a shootout. His body was riddled with 16 bullets. And they had printed T-shirts, and many of them were wearing pictures of this young man on their T-shirts. And on the sleeves of the T-shirts, it had 3NG. And most of us who are native New Orleans know that the 3 and G gang was a murderous gang accountable for 21 killings in Central City. It's 3rd and Galvez. 
and they locked them all up. But this man was locked, was killed before they took the federal racketeering laws to lock up the entire gang. But the most startling thing about the t-shirt was not that 3 and G was proudly displayed on the sleeves. It was the way they put his birth and his death dates. You know what it said? They had his, his birth date with thugged in and his death date with thugged out. He was thugged in on a certain day when he was born and he was thugged out on a certain day when he died. It's a sad and terrible thing to suppose that your life begins and ends with thugs and thuggery. The reality is that people get beat up in our world and some people have the philosophy of life, what's yours is mine, and I'll take it. And whether they are bandits with glocks that break into our homes, or white-collar thieves that steal in more sophisticated ways, they damage the lives of other human beings. And Jesus forbids such a philosophy of life and calls us to a life of repentance and hard work and diligence and discipline rather than taking what does not belong to us. And then we have this verse in the passage we've read that says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. And I think about that priest who came upon the wounded man by the side of the road in Jesus' tail and walked by on the other side of the road. And he had this philosophy, I think, and Jesus is teaching this, not what your, what's yours is mine and I'll take it, but what's mine is mine and I'll keep it. What's mine is mine and I'll keep it. And the priest was going by, he had a busy schedule. Maybe he looked at the sun or looked at his watch and thought, I gotta get going and I can't stop now. And besides that, I really don't have the resources to take care of this man. And so he passed by on the other side of the road. And the Levite did the same. He passed by on the other side of the road. In Jesus' tale, he does not give them a pass. We want to give them a pass because many of us feel like, well, we might have had to do the same. Well, go by on the other side of the road. I mean, you can't help every person in an emergency every time you see something in need. I mean, how you just couldn't have a life if you did it. But Jesus does not give them a pass. This priest and this Levite are illustrating a philosophy of life that is different what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is teaching something else, and they are following what, what's mine is mine, and I'll keep it. And you indeed could follow that philosophy of life as well. You could say of your work, I've worked hard, I've earned my living, other people can do the same, and those who are in need can find somebody else, some other sucker, to help them out. It's not going to be me. We learn early on the word mine. Graham knew it pretty early, maybe two years old. 
three years old. It becomes a favorite word for those little people. It's mine. It's mine. And it takes effort and discipline and repeated instruction on the part of parents and grandparents to help the little one know that he needs to share what is his with his brother or his sister or his friends or his cousins or whoever's over. Teaching about sharing is hard work for a little one and for the parents because it's so embedded in us. What's mine is mine and I'll keep it, the child says. And I don't want to share it. And sometimes we grow up with that notion in our heart. What's mine is mine and I'll keep it. And like the Levite and the Pharisee, we feel justified in walking by on the other side of the road. We see someone who is in need or who is in trouble. The way I read this story, neither the Levite nor the priest kept the second commandment. They failed to love their neighbor as themselves. They held on to their own time, their own schedule, their own money, their own resources, and refused to share with the man in need. That's how I read the story. And therefore, when I get through reading about the priest and the Levite, I'm thinking they are just as guilty of sin as the robbers who said, what, what's yours is mine and I'll take it. There is a guilt of sin in the philosophy that says, what's mine is mine and I'll keep it. Something broken about it. Something that misunderstands the economy of God. The Apostle Paul wrote, Let him who stole steal no more. That's a good basic teaching. I guess they had some thieves in the church. I suppose all churches do. I mean, if we go back through our childhood and teenage years, we've probably come across something that we stole. And at some time or other, we have broken that commandment of the Ten Commandments. And so he said, Look, you thieves, you people who have taken what's yours, uh, what's not yours, and have stolen it from someone else, don't steal anymore. You want to be a Christian? You want to follow Jesus? Stop stealing. Don't steal on your IRS forms. Don't, don't do any white-collar crime. Don't be a bandit. Don't be a robber. Don't be a thief. Instead, work with your hands, the apostle says, and that's good. Instead of taking what belongs to others, work with your hands. Why? So you will have something to give to those who are in need. That's why. And so we have this, this tension, okay? If somebody comes to you with a need and you are in such debt and your finances are in such a mess that you cannot help you feel badly. You feel badly about yourself. There's a legitimate need. You'd like to help, but you've not been disciplined. You haven't, you haven't managed your affairs well, and all of a sudden you can't help anymore. You yourself need help, and it's a hard place to be. You would love to get, anybody who's in that position would say to themselves, I'd love to get to the place where I could share. 
So where is that place where you begin to share? I think you must break out of the notion of what's mine is mine and I'll keep it. You got to see that for what it is, as the greed, as the black hole that it is, and begin to share what you do have of your time, of your strength, of your talents and your resources. Start sharing what you do have with those who are in need and let God soften up your heart. And know that that's not the path to life. What's mine is mine and I'll keep it. Instead, it's the notion that bigger barns are what brings peace and prosperity. But the scripture says it's not true. That God is the one who brings peace and prosperity. And so you have this good Samaritan who comes along. The scripture says here, do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. And so you have this Samaritan who's already got the resources to help this man who's in an emergency and he stops and he cares for him. He pours in oil and wine. He puts him on his donkey. He takes him to the inn. He pays the innkeeper for his care. He spends the night there helping the man. And when he leaves, he prepays, I don't know, for some period of time. And that's a philosophy of life too. And it's this. What's mine is yours. And I'll share it. The thieves have, what's yours is mine and I'll take it. The priest and the Levite say, what's mine is mine and I'll keep it. And the good Samaritan says, what's mine is yours and I'll share it. Now, let me point out to you something that's clear in the parable that Jesus tells. Your neighborliness, your love of neighbor is connected to your wallet. You can't avoid this truth. Jesus is the one who mentions the money. It's in the story. The good Samaritan got out his wallet and helped that man in need. Did you hear about Sam Houston's baptism? Sam Houston was, came to Christ as an adult. And we are told that when they got ready to baptize him, somebody noticed he had his wallet in his pants. And so he said, Mr. Houston, you've got your wallet in your pocket. And Mr. Houston said, it's going under too. We're going to baptize my wallet. You need to baptize your wallet. (laughs) Baptize your purse. Baptize your checkbook. That's not some extra untouchable part of your life. Baptize it in your mind and your heart. Put it under the water. It all belongs to God. And being the person that God has called you to be, is a matter of your wallet but it's also a matter of your heart and that is the root isn't it it's your heart brother it's your heart sister 
Where your treasure is, Jesus said, there will your heart be also. Where do you want your heart to be? I told you earlier that heart is the essential you, the real you, the inner you. Who you are, who do you want that to be? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, we think that peace and prosperity is the result of accumulation. No, it is the return of keeping the command of God and binding love and faithfulness around your neck. That's what Proverbs 3 says. So we got better returns for you. Jesus taught us it is more blessed to give than to receive. And this we must internalize. The happy, healthy, full, and abundant life flows out of a heart of generosity. Not the one that says, mine is mine and I'll keep it. But what's mine is yours and I'll share it. Sometimes I go to the homes of the sick and infirm. Sometimes to the hospital or the nursing home. I used to go to see Miss Murphy. She was bedridden. And when I went to see her, as I got ready to leave, she said, I have, I have something for you, preacher. And over and over again, this lady who was bedridden would give me her offering to take to the church. She'd write it out in her wobbly hand, the check and the envelope, and I'd be the delivery boy for her offering the next Sunday. You'd be surprised how many people want to give, even though they're sick, even though they're hurting, maybe they can't come to church, but they'll send an offering because they want to give unto the Lord. Last week after church, a woman in our church came down. And she said, with tears rolling down her cheeks, she said, Pastor, today I had the joy of giving my first offering to the Lord since I found employment. And she'd been unemployed for some time. And she said, it's the most joyful thing to give my offering to the Lord. So last Sunday she did it. And she said, I thought about every blank on that check. And I was very careful how I wrote it out. And I thought about how I was going to write out the date and every aspect of that offering. She said, I thought over it and I prayed over it and I rejoiced over being able to give that offering. Maybe you're at a place where you just can't receive this. You know, giving doesn't make any sense to you. And you think, why would people do that? Let me just tell you, the generosity of heart connects you to God's cycle of sufficiency. When you enter in with God into the life of grace that extends the hand of hope and help to another, You are connecting to the pipeline of God's eternal supply. 
That's why Jesus said it is more blessed, more happy to give than to receive. That's why the Bible urges you to generosity, to cheerful giving. If you hang on to that stuff too tight, it chokes the life out of you. When you open your hand and open your heart, God opens the windows of heaven. Let's bow together. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. What a great gift, the ultimate gift for us, poor sinners, unworthy, so needy, such a mess. Thanks that you, cho- thanks that you chose to bless us by sending your Son. Lord Jesus, we thank you for laying down your life for us. We who could not save ourselves, you surrendered your life on our behalf. We thank you. Make us more like you, Father God. Help us be more like our Lord. Show us how to be free from the tyranny of money and things so that we might have a heart like yours. God, we pray in this time of response that you would, by your Holy Spirit, convict us. Draw us to yourself. Show us what you want us to do in response to what we have heard and seen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.